Good morning. Our scripture reading today will be found in John chapter 4. Again, that's John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know, but we worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Good morning. So glad to be with you with you today. Thankful for the beautiful singing that we have had this morning. Before we get started, uh, it's always interesting when you're handing a note. It says there is a mint green Ford Escape. I don't know if they tasted it or not to know if it was mint. Uh, and your, your horn alarm is going off in the back parking lot. And so in a second when we pray, when we close our eyes, you might want to slip out. Um, if you want to go take care of that or if your battery's good, we're good. Uh, but today is an awesome day. We're here to worship, and that is why we come together. I'm thankful that tonight what we're going to do is, if you remember about a month or six weeks ago, what we asked you to do was to fill out a form uh, online or in person that said, this is my favorite hymn, uh, and, and this is why. Well, we went through, and some of y'all may have seen those videos on Facebook this week. We've released a few of those. We'll release some of those later. But tonight, we've gone through that list of songs, and we've pulled several of those songs out. And tonight, we're going to have our fifth Sunday singing, but it's going to be a little different. We're going to spend that time, uh, again, in worship. We're going to sing some of the most requested songs that you gave. We're going to share some of the stories of why those songs are special with you. We're going to spend time reading Scripture, and I believe tonight is going to be a blessed night, so I hope that you will choose to be here tonight as we gather together. I know that we have several of our teenagers gone today. They're at Rush at Freed Hardeman University, and then they will be traveling back. We always want to remember our young people as they travel, and let's go to God and pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we come before you. You are the great and mighty God. And today we come to tell you of your greatness. As we think about your love and your greatness today, Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to fall at your feet and to worship you. Lord, how awesome it is this week to see four people put you on in baptism. They have chosen to make you the, the, the Lord of their lives and they will crown your son king. Lord, we pray that you will be with them in their walk this week, and may they always seek you out, and may they be true worshipers. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Perspective, people say, is everything. And perspective really is how we choose to look at something, and that is a, a big deal, the way we look at things. And there is something in photography called forced perspective. Y'all may have seen this. This is where you can move something closer to the camera, something further away, but it ends up being a pretty cool effect, like this, okay? Realize this guy is not bigger than the Eiffel Tower, but because of the way the picture's taken, it definitely looks that way, correct? That's called forced perspective, where he looks as large 
is the is what's in the back. We people done that with a leaning tower of Pisa. Are able to hold it up. You know, Stonehenge is in danger of being trodden upon. I mean, when you look and and you see this, or maybe you have a car that go, wow, that car looks like it's on a skateboard. Or maybe two little girls can hold up an island. We realize that that's not the truth, but because the perspective that, that the photographer chose, it looks different. It looks here that somebody shot a jump shot with a moon and somebody else is committing goaltending as they're holding on the rim. You, you see that, or maybe you see this happen, the way that they position themselves, or you see dinosaurs have come back, right? Realizing that dinosaur is probably only five or six inches tall. But the perspective that you take the picture changes What's the largest thing in the picture? The ability to, to look like that you can take clouds and come out of a, a spray can. I grew up being told that spray cans would destroy the clouds and everything else. Here it looks like it's creating them. Or being able to take a what? A hot air balloon in your fingers. This next picture is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You may want to look away, but people are really bad to do this with fish and with snakes, okay? When you... By, First of all, that's the coffee we need to get through today. Okay, you see how huge this snake looks, right? It's not that big. It's that big. That's why when you take a picture with a fish, if you're really good at it, you hold your arm out as far as possible. See, it's not making a fish look better. It is doing glamour shots for fish. It's making them look like their true selves as much as you can and giving them the full size. But realize, in one picture, it looks like a world record, something that would be huge. In another picture with this snake, you realize it's not. And for those of y'all who say, I don't want snakes to be up here, we have a puppy, okay? We can draw you back in, all right? And you know as well as I do, this puppy is not bigger than those two young ladies, but our perspective is a big deal. And if Christians are known for anything, we should be known for having a proper and healthy perspective of who God is. If we do not, everything falls apart in, in the way that we function, and so we must look and see Him clearly. Let me ask you this, how big is your God? If we were to do a perspective picture, would God be huge and us be small? Or we like say, you know what, I think I'd like to be a little bigger. We can put God in the, uh, in the distance and me up close and I look a lot bigger. You'd say, I'd never do that, but many times we do. Our perspective of how big God is will determine how we live, how we serve, how we function, and how we worship. We realize the sun is much larger than this person's two fingers. But when we do not see Jesus the Son in His proper perspective, we can treat Him as being much smaller than us. I have a question today for you. This morning, did you come to church or did you come to worship? That perspective is a big deal. Did you come to church, did you come to a place, or did you come to worship God together and put God above all? What is it that you have chosen to do today? I want to look at a couple of people who just went to church, if, 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 if that's okay, and I think it would be beneficial. Uh, and it comes back to how big our God is. We're going to look at Nadab and Abihu. I couldn't find real pictures, so these will have to suffice, Okay. 
Nate and Abihu, when we think about them, many of us go, yes, they were the ones that God destroyed because they offered up a strange fire. Well, let's, let's read this together and let's see some things that maybe we haven't seen that might help our perspective on seeing who God is. In Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What would worship look like today if when the people were offering the Lord's Supper, they did something that God did not want and God struck them down? What would we do? Would we run? Would we be in awe? What is it we would do? But realize these two, two men are high priests. They're in the line of the, Aaron is the high priest, the, the, the brother of who? Brother of Moses. These are, these are Moses' nephews. And they have come together to offer up a, a sacrifice to God in the way that the high priest is supposed to, and they offer up, it says, a strange, unauthorized alien fire, depends on what your version says, and it is not what God commanded, and fire came from before God and consumed them. Verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. This man, Aaron, just watches his two sons get struck down by God. And Moses says, they got what they deserved. They chose not to do what God has said. God will be held holy. He will be worshipped no matter what. So instead of canceling worship services that day, he tells Aaron, you've got two other sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Let's get them up here and let them offer the sacrifices. Sometimes we have a tough time getting people to work, serve on the Lord's Supper table. Can you imagine getting people to come up and serve now? The last two guys did it wrong. And they have been struck down by God. But hey, God is still worthy of worship. We must serve him. We're your other sons. Numbers 3.2 says, And the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn of Bihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, these are the names of the son of Aaron, the anointed priest, whom he ordained to serve as priest. So his other sons come and offer sacrifice. It says, But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered an unauthorized fire before him in the wilderness at Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. Numbers 22, verse 60 says, And, Aaron, uh, and to Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, but Nadab and Abihu died when they offered the authorized fire before the Lord. It said it in three different places. To me, they are trying, God is trying through inspiration to emphasize something very, very important. That worship itself is holy, that God is holy, and we are to be uh, very mindful on how we worship God. John MacArthur, in his book, Strange Fire, he says, the most serious crimes against God occur in corrupt worship. When we choose not to worship God the way he has commanded us to worship. Here's what's interesting. Why is it that they offered up this strange fire? 
this unauthorized fire. Realize God is a God of specifics. When you read through the Old Testament, they're told exactly how much is something to put in, uh, how long it's to be burned, what day it's to be burned, what sacrifices do on this day, how you ought to offer it, what part of the meat, if you're offering meat, is to be eaten, what part is to be disposed. Everything is specific. Is that the problem with Nadab and Abihu? This word unauthorized, foreign, it is profane, it is against what God has said, but Let's think for a second, why? Why would they do that? This is not something that, this is not a rookie mistake. This is not something they just chose on this day that, hey, we're going to try this. It, it is very, very different. And I think if we keep reading, we see why. What you have is, we'll, we'll keep reading in a second. We read about Nadab and Abihu offering up this unauthorized fire. God strikes them down. Moses tells Aaron that God is to be seen as holy and revered. And the other two brothers are brought in to, to uh, carry out this, this sacrifice. And then there is an edict put right here in Scripture. And look what God through inspiration says right here. It says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout all generations. The implication is, Nadab and Abihu were trying to worship drunk. They had been drinking before they came in. He said, from now on, Y'all are not to do this at all. To me, there would be no rule right here if this had not been what they had broken. What did they do? They came in to, to not worship God, but to carry out these worshipful acts, and they did not care. It was not important to them at all. They came to God with a very flippant attitude, not realizing they are coming to, to bow down and worship before Him. And, and it says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. He said, what they failed to do is separate what is holy from what is common. Can I ask you something? Is God just common to us or is God holy and set apart and worthy of worship to us? It comes back to how big is our God. It comes back to how do we see God and do we see him as worthy and do we see him as worthy of us falling at his feet and giving him all of what we have? It is and he is a big deal. He is the only deal. He is the one that we are to worship above and beyond with everything that we have. See, if we were to keep reading, what we would say, see is that Eliezer and Ithamar came in and had to offer a sacrifice. Can you imagine how nervous you'd be? I'm being serious there. You've got to come in and offer this sacrifice. The guys who did it before were struck dead. Not only that, you've got the emotional carryover because it was your brothers. Can I tell you, they messed up the sacrifice too. God allows them to live. Why? I think it was one thing for... I think God understood where they were coming from, but they didn't come to God with a sense of he's common. 
See, God wants to be treated as holy. And we have to see him as bigger than everyone else. And what we have been doing here in our fall focus, we start, start talking about being committed to church and we, I mean, being committed to Christ. And now we've been talking about being committed to the church. And one way we do both of those is through how we worship and through our worship to see God as that big. I get back to today, did you come to church or did you come to worship? And that's something that I have to ask myself every single day week because that perspective is a big deal for us to see clearly that God is worthy and we want to give him all of who we are when we think of how big God is here's the here's the danger the the wrong way to come to worship is to come as a spectator to feel like you're going to a show because what happens when we come in there, it, it leads to consumerism. It, it leads to, it says, when we come mainly to watch and not participate, I don't prepare much. I don't anticipate it. My general attitude is entertain me, move me, show me something amazing. Can I ask you last night, did you do anything to prepare to worship today? Did that determine what time you went to bed? Did that determine uh, what you did as a family? Did that determine uh, how you functioned this morning so it wouldn't be as crazy as it may be before you leave and go to worship? Did, did you put any thought into, hey, tomorrow is a day of worship? Or is it like, hey, we're going to go and there's going to be some leaders up there and I hope they do their job well? See, there's some that come in as spectators, and, and what happens is we end up being from the Muppets like Statler and Waldorf, and all they did was sit up in the balcony and do what? Criticize. It's who they are. There's some who come each week, and, and that is who they are. Why? Because it's not coming about God. It's about coming to judge whether the, the people who are leading are doing the job and do, the singing the songs we want and everything else. Do we come in to go through and evaluate our worship service to go through and say, yeah, today we'll give the song leader about a seven. Sorry, Clay. Um, about a seven. You'll give a preacher about five and a half. If he'd have stopped 10 minutes earlier, we'd give him a 10, but we're going to go drop down to a five. You know, it really, and you start picking it apart, and we end up being here as a, if you will, an American Idol judge with, with this face on us. Going, I really didn't like today. What'd you get out of worship today? Which is a funny question anyway, right? What did you get out of worship? Our question should always be, what did God get out of worship today? Because it is our job to give to him. That is what worship is. And will we leave here energized? I believe so. Will we leave here blessed and encouraged? We should. But I'm going to tell you, if we come in as spectators, we will never, ever realize that God is bigger and he should be the object of our worship. But see, there's another way sometimes people come in, and it is, it's just a routine. We make a list of all the things we need to do. We make sure we leave on time. Our, our mind is filled with the logistics and details. We, we look forward to, to clocking out when the time is over. We are here to get stuff done, check off our list, and then to go home. I'm going to be honest, this is the struggle for me because I, th I think many who lead in worship in different ways, it is very difficult to get your mind to worship and your heart to worship when you're thinking about everything that has to be done. 
I think about our guys here who have to schedule all the, the men who serve in different ways, the ones who schedule our teachers, the ones who, who have all these different things they do today. You come here today, you're like, hey, I need to catch this person or that person. And it's so easy to get stuck in that routine and to go through and say, all right, today we, we've sung and, and we've prayed and, and, and we, we, we've had preaching and, and we've had these things. So uh, I think we did, every, did everything decently and in order so we can go home. And the thing is, both of these are wrong. When worship becomes mundane to us, when it gets so trivial that we just feel like we can do whatever, and we're just waiting for that amen to go home, we've missed the point. We should be in awe of God. And that takes being like a child, and, and we are to be as little children. Children are easily in awe, and we should be of our Heavenly Father. To be completely in awe of Him. Again, how big is our God? And we talked about this last week. We are called to come together and worship corporately as a group of people, and there are some who just choose not to. Again, that comes back to how big is our God. It comes back to how big he is, and we must be people. If we're going to have a clear perspective and worship God, we have to realize how big and great he is, the God who did what? Who spoke the world into existence. The God who does not need anything but chose to create us out of love. The one who was able to do all these things. And when we see him, what should happen to us is we should fall on our faces with humility. One of the greatest things we can realize is that God is God and we are not. The psalmist says this in Psalm 95 verse 6. Say, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What a beautiful thought that we are to come and bow down and worship him. There's also a beautiful thought of relationship in here. We're his. We belong to the creator. We belong to the maker. We have given our life to him and, and we want to do that. See, if we come to worship with a sense of entitlement, can I tell you, the wrong person's on the throne. When we come with a sense of entitlement, we're coming to him, and we have put ourselves on the throne today. We want what we want. We want the songs that we want. We want it to be in the time frame that we want it. We want it to be the, the level of comfort we want at these different things and to sit back and go, wow, today is not about me. Today is truly about God and what God wants and what God has commanded and what God has not just asked for, but what he is worthy of. That's what worship means. <laughs> We give somebody their worth. That is what we are to do. And, and the thing is, some of us may hold ourselves a little in too high esteem when it comes to God. I love a lot of Teddy Roosevelt quotes, don't you? I, the man in the arena, one of my favorite things. I have read it. I have had it as a poster on my wall. I love that. But I'm going to share something that his daughter said about him. Be careful after you pass away, your kids may write stuff about you. And here's what she said. My dad wanted to be the corpse at every funeral, the bride at every wedding, and the baby at every christening. 
He wanted to be the center of what? All attention. That's not a compliment. Can I ask you this morning, who's the center point or centerpiece of our worship? It must be God. And we want to make sure that that, that humility, when we see that we are here for him, that will affect the frequency of what, how we come, that will affect the attitude of what we come, that will affect the way that we call out and, and praise God. That will be who we are. Our perspective must be that God is so much bigger than us and so much greater that he is worthy. And the way we respond to him, I think we see a, a glimpse in Isaiah, if you will. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Because there's a beautiful thought there when Isaiah sees the Lord. It says, and I saw the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, let's, let's look what he says. It said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two... He flew, being in the presence of God, covering your face up because the glory of God was so incredible. Can you imagine being here and, and having this vision and being able to actually see the Lord and see these things and, and look what it does to him. It says, and one called another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations and the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. When God spoke, the world shook. How big is our God? Holy, 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 to, to separate him and to set him apart. He is worthy he said, and I said, woe is me, because I'm a man lost. I'm a man of, of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. When we hear the voice and we see that Isaiah spoke, his first thought is, Look how sinful I am. Was he any more sinful than when he came, in, came to the presence of God? No, but once he saw God, he saw his own sinfulness. That's a big deal. Same thing happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. As we get closer to God, as we get closer to his perfection and his beauty and his glory, we then can see ourselves as we should. What well, an incredible thought that after he saw himself and he humbled himself, God sends an angel over to do what? To cleanse him. See, had he never humbled himself before God, had he never seen his own sinfulness, he'd never see that he needed to be cleansed. But God does that in his humility. See, every day we have to answer that question, how big is our God? How big is he and, and what is it? And are we going to come before him flippantly? 
Are we going to come before him and, and, and just sort of think God sort of gets what he gets? He gets what I'm willing to give and he ought to be okay with that? Or is he worth more than we can give? But we lay our lives down before him and lay our, our, our time of worship and, and our hearts before him. What I see here, when I look very quickly here at Isaiah, is he has a humility. He sees his own sinfulness. He sees the greatness of God. In that, he sees his own smallness. But in that, he has faith that God is a God and the God who saves. And then when God says, hey, I have a job and I want to send someone, he is saying, hey, if you are God, I will go. I will go and I will be obedient to you. See, that is what us coming in before the presence of God should do. Can you imagine if every week when we came together, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night when we come together, we had that moment realizing who God is and it made us more humble. And then it increased our faith. And we left saying, I want to be obedient and do the job you've called us to do. What an incredible thought. How would it affect, we sometimes talk about the five different acts of worship, the five different the ways the Bible talks about us worshiping him. If we saw God, we humbled ourselves and, and, and we adored him, what would it look like? And, and, and every time we come together, when we pray to God, we should be showing it is a sense of awe. We are saying, God, you are bigger than we are. God, you're the one who can answer this prayer. You spoke the world into existence. You, you are almighty. You are all-knowing. You are all-loving. You are all-present. And today we're going to trust you with what we have. And we're going to praise you today. We're going to thank you. We're going to ask you. We're going to come together in all. And then as we sing, that comes from what? Our joy in him. Our joy and what he does, that delight that we have. And then we think about our offering as we go through and give. Can I tell you, this is about more than our income. It's about our appreciation for what God has done. Can I tell you, it's one thing for me to look at my paycheck every week and, and, and go, I, I get paid monthly, but every month you understand what I'm saying. Look at my paycheck and go, okay, God has blessed me X amount for this month. I'm going to give a percentage of that back. What if I started every time I thought about giving, well, this is the one who saved my soul. Let that sit in a second. And then I start evaluating how I give and realize that I'm offering back to the one who gave me what I could never have given myself. Then we gather around the Lord's Supper table and realize that is a time of relationship where we do think and we do take God, God in that symbolism. We think about the fruit of the vine and, and, and we take the, the bread and we take that into us, that relationship that we have, remembering him on that cross. And then the time we spent, what, in education and teaching and wanting to know more about God. It is through this we see how big God is. And we get our perspective. Can I ask you this morning, did you come to church today or did you come to worship God? I don't know if you've seen the Lord today. I pray you have as we've gone through God's word. I pray you have experienced God through the time we've spent in singing, through the, the time of giving, through the time that we have spent together uh, praying to him. And as we see him, we want to have a clear perspective of who he is, and that should lead us to a humility. It should increase our faith. It should lead us to action.
Today, how, how big is God to you? Because as we realize who he is, we see he's worthy of worship. This morning, who's on the throne? In your life, and you come, are you on the throne? Are you, are you the one that wants to be worshipped, or is it God? Today, if you decided that God is above all and you want to give your all to Him, today, if you come as a spectator or if you come as a checklist person, or if you decided that God is God and God is worthy and He is someone that I'm going to give my worship to. Today's We've announced that there have been four baptisms this week. How awesome. What an incredible week that we have had. I think that takes us about 36 for the year. Let's, let's go ahead and double that before the end of the year. Let's just keep rolling. Because I believe when somebody comes to Christ, it's when they see God. In the sense that they see Him, there's a humility. They're like, wow, God is God. I am not. I need Him to be my Lord. I need Him to save me. And today, if you have that and want to do that, we want to help you. With that, So today, if you want to become a Christian and crown him king, we would love to help you with that. Maybe today that you want us to pray with you or for you, we'd love to help with that. Can I, can I say this? What if every time we came, should we be worshiping on our own? Yes, I'm just talking about our time together. When we came, we said, you know what, today's about him. How would our lives be different? The joy that we would have the comfort and power we would feel from being in his presence could be life-changing. Today, if we can help you in your walk with him, would you come now?